Lord Jesus Christ, light in our darkness. Lord Jesus Christ, light in our darkness. We are well aware of darkness, especially this time of year, right? Uh, there's twice as much darkness every day as there is light. And the light that we do have is dim through clouds and so on. We're well aware of darkness. But even beyond the weather, we're aware that wars continue. We're aware of continued political infighting. We're aware that there are new strands of sickness and disease. Uh, Anxiety often increases this time of year. As we try to coordinate all of our holiday plans, uh, as we navigate complicated family relationships, all while trying to balance the budget and get presents for people, And despite all of the noise and activity that we're surrounded by this time of year, that loneliness remains deep down. We're well aware of the darkness, both out there and in here. And so we must pray to our Lord Jesus Christ, the light in our darkness. Praying for light in the midst of darkness is yet another way of entering into this prayer that we pray every week and and this line that we are reflecting on throughout the season of Advent. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Come To pray for light is to pray for God's kingdom because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of light. We see this as Jesus' arrival is described in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we'll begin reading from today. So a couple weeks ago, as we entered into this season of Advent, we saw how Matthew introduced the arrival of Jesus. Uh, It began with John the Baptist in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord and declaring the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near, right? John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus by declaring the kingdom of God. That's how Matthew, Mark, and Luke describe it. In the Gospel of John, we see something very similar. Jesus is coming, and John the Baptist is preparing the way, but there's some different language that's used. Instead of using the language of, of kingdom, John uses the language of light. And this is because these things are interchangeable. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of light. 
So let's listen closely to these words as, as John describes Jesus' arrival. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word this morning. And we thank you for your light that shines in our darkness. I pray that as we reflect on the words of your scripture this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So John's gospel describes the arrival of God's kingdom as a light dawning in the world. And describes John the Baptist's preparation as being a witness to that light. And so these are the things I want to explore together this morning. What is the light? And what does it mean to be a witness to the light? What is the light? And what does it mean to be a witness to the light. So first, what is the light? Let's, let's observe a few things about the light from this passage. First, I want to point out that in relation to darkness, light is first. Light is first. Uh, light is powerful is something that we see. It's both mentioned first uh, in, in the way that, God, that John describes it, but it also comes out in first place in the end. Verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, John describes how light is, is going to come first in the end, but he demonstrates that light comes first with his grammar. He, he places the word light before the word darkness. It's true in our English translations. It's true in the Greek as well. Light comes first. The truest thing about the world is the light that shines. The truest thing about the world is the light that shines within it. This is what John is, is trying to get across. He's trying to describe this, but for some reason, we've often been told the opposite. 
We've often been told that the world is a dark place, right? Now, that the truest thing about us is, is our sin and our guilt and how dark our hearts are. But John seems to indicate that light comes first. That before the world was broken, it was beautiful. That before we were broken, we were beautiful. The truest thing about the world is that the light shines within it. Now, don't get me wrong. Darkness is also true, right? We're well aware of the darkness we began reflecting on. The world is broken. And we are broken. The darkness is is also true. But I want you to hear this. The darkness is not first. And it will not be last. Because the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Here's the point of all of this. As overwhelming and oppressive as darkness can be, it is ultimately powerless against the light. It's ultimately powerless against the light. I was doing some reading about this, and did you know that uh, physicists have no way of measuring darkness? It's because darkness does not have any substance to be measured. Uh, In pure scientific categories, darkness does not exist. Because darkness is merely the absence of light. Darkness is not a thing in and of itself. And so it can't be measured. Darkness is ultimately powerless against light. No matter how little the light seems to be, it will always dispel the darkness that it comes into contact with. Uh, so, so we experienced this uh, when Caitlin and I were traveling in Ireland last month. There were a few days where we were driving to our, our final destination for that day uh, late at night in the dark. Uh, and I simply have to tell you that darkness in Ireland is dark. <laughs> it is very, very dark. Um, I, I, uh, I, I took a picture of it. I'm just kidding. That, that's just a blank slide. But if I had taken a picture of it, it would look like this, all right? Um, it's very, very dark. Um, I mean, it felt like you might be able to measure it. If I took a measuring cup and stuck it out the window, that like I would have come back with something, right? It was just so dark. Uh, and, and this is because, I mean, apart from a, a very few major roads through the country of Ireland, m- there really aren't any highways. Uh, most of the roads in Ireland are little two-lane country roads going through the countryside. There are no overhead lights uh, on the road or anywhere. It's just dark. So at night, there is no light source other than the two little headlights on the front of our car 
uh, as we make our way through, right? I mean, you know, people who are going on walks in the evening uh, with their dogs, like they're wearing reflective vests because like that's just what you do because there's no light anywhere. Uh, to be seen. Uh, and so it's just our two little headlights that are, that are getting us through. But, but here's the thing. Even though our headlights are, are very small in the scheme of the Irish countryside, they never failed to light the road right in front of us. They never failed to, right? We couldn't see far, but we could see enough. And it's amazing how far you can go seeing just a little bit in front of you. Because the light always dispels the darkness that it confronts. We drove miles and miles through the dark nighttime roads of Ireland, but with those headlights on, the darkness was overcome. This is the way of light and darkness. And it's the way of the light and the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. So light comes first. And it comes out first in the end. Now with all this talk of of light coming in first place, uh, it could be easy to start thinking in terms of comparison and and competition, right? To think of us and and them, of having light or not having light, on and on. Who's coming in first place, right? And that leads us to the second thing I want to point out about light. Who is this light for? Verse 4 describes it as the light of all mankind. Verse 9 calls it the true light that gives light to everyone. Everyone. This light is universal. This light is for everyone. Darkness is meant to be dispelled for all of mankind. True light is meant to shine upon everyone. This tells us a great deal about God's heart. See, God desires for all to be saved from darkness. God desires all to be warmed by the light of his love. That's the heart of God. Too often, church has been lured into thinking of God's light as this commodity that the church has and others don't. And so we've often withheld forgiveness and grace as we look down upon others in judgment. But this is not the heart of God. This is not the heart of God. Sometimes we haven't judged other people. Uh, we've judged God, right? We, we've had this feeling like, like uh, you know, I, I know there's light, but I think God's holding out on me. I think God is holding out 
on us, keeping the light at bay. But again, this is not the heart of God. God desires all to be saved from the darkness. God desires all to be warmed by the light of his love. And that includes you. Every single one of us. God desires you to be saved from the darkness. God desires you to be warmed by the light of his love. God is not holding out on you. God longs for you to live in the light of life that is for all of mankind. And so this light that's described in the beginning of John is is powerful. It's universal. But finally, I want to point out that this light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. It's coming into the world, right? It's not far off and distant. Uh, It has come close. And how is it that this light has come? It came not as a warm, fuzzy feeling or abstract idea or impersonal force. This light has come as a person. This light came as a person, this light that overcomes darkness, that invites all into its warmth, is not an it at all. It's the person of Jesus. This whole description at the beginning of John's gospel is an introduction to the person of Jesus who comes to shine in the darkness and share himself with the world. And this is an important reminder for us in a society that always seeks to depersonalize. That's always seeking to depersonalize. Uh, What I mean by that is we live in a world where uh, Christmas shopping is far more likely to involve clicking a button than bumping shoulders with someone at an actual store, right? Uh, Or if if you do go to a store, uh, we're much more likely to just go through and, you know, scan our things and get out of there on our own than actually interact with a person at a checkout counter, right? I mean, we're we're just increasingly uh, living in this world of of depersonalization and disconnection. And this has happened to our faith as well. Right? Christian faith is, has too often been presented as some set of beliefs that we check off and agree to. You know, do you, did you pass the test? Did you agree with all the right things? Did you know all the right stuff? It's often been described as, as a set of ideas rather than a relationship with the person of Jesus. But that's what Christian faith is all about. John's gospel makes it clear that the light is not an abstract idea or impersonal force, but the person of Jesus. And, and, and he continues to show us this as John 
tells the gospel. Jesus is very personal. After the introduction in, in the rest of chapter 1, John depicts Jesus personally interacting with disciples like Andrew and Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, having conversations with them, calling them to himself. Uh, as, as the story continues, he interacts very personally with his mother at a wedding celebration. He interacts with Nicodemus one-on-one at nighttime. He interacts with a woman at a well. On and on we go. Jesus refuses to depersonalize people or his interactions with them. He remains rooted to the present moment and the people before him. That's how Jesus lived. And all of this comes together. All of these ideas, all of this comes together in John chapter 8 when Jesus himself says to people before him, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. The the question is not what is the light, but who is the light? It's Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. And so this light is, is powerful. It overcomes the darkness. It's universal. It's, it's intended for everyone. But it's also very personal. The person of Jesus, who is the king of the kingdom of light, is also a friend to all who follow him. So, John writes about the arrival of Jesus, and when he does that, he describes it using all of these images of light. And then when he writes about John the Baptist preparing the way, he uses the word witness. Witness. Beginning in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now, I want you to remember an Advent theme from two weeks ago. Uh, we, We said that As John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus, first coming, so we are to prepare the way for his second coming. Just as John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus' first arrival, so we are called to prepare the way for his return. And in the same way as we think in terms of of the Gospel of John, in the same way that that John the Baptist was a witness to the light. So we are to be witnesses to the light today. So I want to ask this question, what does it mean to be witnesses of the light? 
What does it mean to be witnesses of the light? I have a couple of words for us to consider uh, this morning and what it means to be witnesses of the light. And, and um, they are to be a people who are waking and watching. Or to put it another way, awake and aware. Being a witness to the light means waking up to a whole new reality. It means waking up to a world that has light and not just darkness. But it means to waking up to a new reality of who we are as people in the world. Paul wrote about this in Colossians chapter 1. He said, The Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Being a witness to the light means being awakened to a new kingdom that is not a kingdom of darkness, but to the kingdom of light. It means belonging to a new place. Whenever we were traveling in Ireland, we were, you know, going from place to place, and, and often, you know, different mornings we'd wake up in different places, and it was always a little disorienting to wake up in a new place, right? Uh, and whenever we got home, it was almost hard to believe that, that I was back in my own bed in my own room. I'd wake up, and go, where, where am I, right? Right? But being a witness to the light is waking up and realizing I'm in a different place. I'm living in a different reality. Though there is darkness around me, I've seen the light. And I know that the light is true, that it's shining in the darkness, and that the darkness has not overcome it. It means belonging to a different place. At the very end of the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, there's a really wonderful image that, that C.S. Lewis describes as, as the whole story comes to its final conclusion. Uh, all of Narnia is being rescued and restored and made new. And, and there's this picture of this little shed. Uh, and the shed becomes the, the entrance to this new Narnia, uh, this new place. People wander through this place and, and enter into a bigger and greater and newer Narnia, and then they just continue the journey on. The, the phrase is further up and further in as they go and explore and continue. But there's this one group of dwarves who go into the shed, and they huddled up together, and they're sitting there, and they just think they're in a shed. And despite people coming and saying, hey, come on, there's the whole new Narnia to explore. They just sit there. Why would we do that? We're here in a dark shed, right? This is a picture of what it is to not be awake. It's the reality of the kingdom of light that we have been placed in. How often do we wake up thinking that we're just living in a dark shed? When the reality is God is making things new. 
God is drawing us into a new creation, drawing us into this kingdom of light. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And as we enter that kingdom, we too become His beloved children. That's the truest thing about us. We're loved by God. Redeemed, free, forgiven. We wake up to this new reality. We live in a kingdom of light, not darkness. That's what it means to be a witness to the light. Elsewhere, Paul also writes about waking up. Uh, In Romans chapter 13, he says, An hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. I love that. Like, we all got here uh, about an hour ago, not quite an hour ago. Uh, We're closer to salvation than we were then. Just think about that, right? At the end of every day, like to just say, I'm closer than I was when I started. I'm closer than I was when I woke up, right? I mean, that's, that's encouraging by itself. He goes on to say, the night is nearly over and the day is almost here. So let us put aside deeds of darkness and put on armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul is is calling people to wake up. Wake up and live in this reality of light. Wake up and live in this kingdom of light, putting on the armor of light, which is Jesus himself. Be clothed in Christ. And here's the thing, you know, we we see this and, and, you know, it's just, oh, this is another one of Paul's lists of various kinds of sins and things to avoid. Don't do that, right? But, But I think there's a lot of insight in this because he's calling us to wake up whenever we often live so sleepy. Uh, these are not just, you know, sins to not do. They're ways that we actively fall asleep to the kingdom of light. They're ways that we actively uh, go to sleep in the midst of life, right? Uh, carousing and drunkenness, things that dull our sight and mind. Sexual immorality and debauchery, you know, things that that distract us from our awareness and anxiety. Dissension and jealousy, you know, things of, of deflecting our own inner anxiety, you know, putting that out onto someone else. These are ways that we stay asleep. This is what it is to live as a sleepy person. And every single person falls asleep differently, right? Some of us uh, fall asleep by 
you know, just sort of glazing over, staying still, on and on. Others of us fall asleep by staying really busy. That's how we keep ourselves from being awake. Everyone falls asleep differently, but the call of the gospel is the same. Wake up. The light is shining. The day is near. Wake up. What does it look like to live as a person who's awake? Not a nighttime person, but as God's daytime people who know that the light is coming and being witnesses to the light. We're called to wake up to this new reality and live as people awake in a world that's constantly trying to fall asleep. And so waking is one of the ways that we are witnesses to the light. But we also witness the light by watching, by keeping watch. I love the word witness that's used, right? John is a witness to the light. What is a witness other than someone who has seen something? We've often heard the word witness in the church and Christian circles as, you know, oh, I need to go witness. I need to, you know, go uh, tell people stuff, convince them of things, prove whatever. That's not what witnessing is. Witness is very simply saying, here's what I've seen. That's all that we're called to. Just say, here's what I've seen. Leave it at that. But in order to be a people who have seen something, we need to be watching. We need to be looking. Looking for the light. As people rooted in the kingdom of light, as we look around the world, we will begin to see that it's not just darkness. That there is light. That God is in our midst. That God is at work in the world, establishing his kingdom. If only we have eyes to see it. If only we could watch and wait. There's a a, a phrase uh, in the Psalms, uh, in Psalm 130, where the psalmist says, I hope in the Lord more than the watchmen wait for morning. All right, the watchmen were the people who stayed up at night on the watchtowers, making sure that the you know, enemies weren't coming in the night to invade the city and, and on and on. Uh, they, they were on the watch. And what sweet relief it was when light broke. We made it through another night. Uh, as God's people, we are called to be those, those watchers. But we're watching for the activity of the kingdom of God. People who who see God at work in the world, who see the, the slightest bit of light beginning to break on the horizon. We're people who wake up and watch for the activity of God. And so I want to give you a couple of very simple practices 
this week. They may not seem very spiritual, uh, but I think that they can lead us deeper into what it means to be witnesses of the light. And I've got one for the night owls and one for the early birds. And if you're somewhere in between, then you, you can maybe find a way to do one or the other. Uh, but, but one of the practices, uh, this, this might be for the night owls or the early birds, uh, is very simply lighting a candle and watching it. In the midst of the darkness, light a candle. And notice how the moment the candle is lit, the darkness flees. The darkness moves away and there's a, a little realm of light. Watch that light flicker. It's small, but it is not weak. Just light a candle and watch it. Let that be a prayer. That's, that's what we do in Advent. right? These, these flickering candles before us are a prayer as we watch for the light. This became a very deep practice for me several years ago. Uh, I've, I've shared stories about it before in, in this sort of dark season of my first winter in Seattle. Um, I had never experienced such darkness until I went to Ireland. And um, it was, you know, very dark, but also there was a darkness in my soul uh, because I had just gone through a, a divorce and was experiencing a loneliness that I had not known prior to that. Uh, and I, I didn't know how to pray in that season. I, I didn't know if I even wanted to pray in that season. But I'd light a candle in the middle of the dark. And that was, that was my prayer. So I encourage you this week, light a candle in the dark. And let that be your prayer. Another practice, uh, this would be for the early birds. Although in this time of year, it's not as early. Uh, is to watch the sunrise. Wake up. Figure out which window faces east. And look and watch the sun come up. It's slow, right? It doesn't happen all at once. It doesn't happen quickly. But if you watch, you'll see one moment at a time, the light grows a little bit brighter, a little bit brighter. And that's what we're called to be as God's people, living in the kingdom of light. A people who watch and are awake and notice, hey, there's some light on the horizon. And we can bear witness to that light when everyone else is still asleep. And so as we continue through this season of Advent, may we be a people who are awake and a people who are aware as we watch and wait for the coming kingdom of light. Amen.